Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all walks of life and around the world. I am J.D. Messenger, and I am the host for today's edition of NC Review. We are going to be talking about an amazing, wonderful new book that has just been released, and it is entitled What Wags the World, Tales of Conscious Awakening by the none other than Miriam Knight, the founder of New Consciousness Review, and normally the host of this radio show, <laughs> and uh, also um, by Julie Clayton. The, uh, the book is an unbelievable collection of 36 tales of mystical and unexplained phenomenon by a series of credible, professional, highly educated men and women who bravely stand up to the public scrutiny, harassment, or ridicule to share their truth. And I know it takes great courage <clears throat> because I'm honored to be one of those individuals uh, and authors who's in the 36 parables. And um, I, I told Miriam when she asked me if I would interview her that, you know, I'm just incredibly honored. Um, and um, we're going to break today's show into three parts. We're going to get Miriam to tell her story on how this all began. In the second part, we'll talk about some ex excerpts of um, a collection from the 36 stories. And then third, we'll talk about what I like to call the so what. You know, why, do you, why should you care? What does it all mean? And, and what do we do about it? So, Miriam, welcome to your own show. <laughs> Thank you, J.D. You want to do this for a living. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, what Wags the World, Tales of Conscious Awakening, Awakening by Miriam Knight, who is the founder of New Consciousness Review and the host of NCR Radio, is an award-winning show and interviews authors and filmmakers. Miriam is a former senior executive, energy healer. She's also the co-founder of Luminary Voices Speakers Bureau and uh, founded this New Consciousness Media Network and, and radio show. Julie Clayton, who is a uh, co-editor, is a freelance editor and reviews uh, and reviewer uh, for New Consciousness Review. She's edited New York Times bestsellers and award-winning books on New Consciousness and was the communications co-director at the University of Creation Spirituality and a reviewer for publisher, Publishers blah, Weekly and Earthlight Journal. You can learn more and, of course, buy your copy at uh, whatwagstheworld.com or ncreview.com. So, Miriam, um, I, I said to you that I have alternated between just being incredibly happy, excited, passionate, laughing, and then just crying at the, at the profound stories and tales of of healing or precognitive visions or epiphanies, mystical experience, which, which defined the true nature of the world from these incredible people who are doctors and famous authors and military leaders and on and on and on. So 
How did this start? Tell us your story. It depends on how far back you want to go, obviously. Um, I, in fact, I, I was, re- I knew you were going to ask me this question and I was reflecting on it. And it really all started when I was about, I guess, about 13 or 14 years old. I was in summer camp um, one night and I was lying alone in a field on a balmy summer night by a pond and the, the crickets and the frogs. And I was looking up at the stars and suddenly I felt my body lift up and I knew, I absolutely knew that I could fly out into the universe. And unfortunately it scared me so that I slammed back into my body. Yeah. <laughs> and I was never able to replicate that. And it remains with me to this day as one of the big regrets in my life that I chickened out. So fast forward to about, I don't know, about uh, 18 years ago when I was living in London with my husband and a dear friend of ours um, who was a, a name at uh, Lloyd's of London, one of the underwriters, killed himself because there had been a, a call uh, for funding and he felt that he would be ruined and life was worth was uh, you know no longer worth living um, but he obviously regretted it because after he killed himself he started pestering my husband to oh. get a message to his son because he, he bitterly regretted what he had done and this somehow blew open my husband's consciousness and he started seeing things about people and knowing things about people. And in fact, um, uh, he once saved, he saved his friend's life because he saw him, um, at a crossroads between a hospital and a cemetery. And he told him that he has to see a doctor immediately. And he did a sufficiently good job of scaring him that the guy went to the doctor the next day and insisted on having a cardiogram, even though the doctor told him to take two aspirin and go home. Mm. Uh, this was the NHS and the, the uh, National Health in the UK. And um, they discovered that he had three blocked coronary arteries and one wow. partially blocked coronary artery. So he would have been dead in days. And um, this started us on a road of exploration. You know, what was this all about? Because we knew that something real had happened here. And um, in fact, I, I started with a practice of meditation that eventually led to automatic writing. And I learned energy healing. Both my husband and I had been absolutely left-brained corporate types. He was a merchant banker and a lawyer. I was the chief financial officer and chief executive of, of, uh, of software and healthcare companies. And we both did this midlife shift. And then shortly thereafter, we came to America and I started, I uh, became the publisher of a holistic magazine, which I did for seven years and then um, started New Consciousness Review. And in this world, um, you because publishers send me their books and their films, you kind of get, 
you're in the catbird seat. You get an overview of the waves of information that are coming through. And so many books of Conscious Awakening in different forms have come through that I felt that I wanted to bring these stories together in one place because I was sure that so many people have had experiences that they were too embarrassed to to tell other people about or to even acknowledge, or they thought they were going crazy, they thought they were alone and people would make fun of them. So I wanted to to bring these stories by credible people, as you said, I mean, you're, you're a prime example, J.D. You didn't even mention your own credentials. J.D. was a naval submarine officer, graduate, uh, an honors graduate of Annapolis. He was chief um, uh, uh, CEO of Ernst & Young in Singapore. He was responsible for the cleanup of the Exxon Valdez oil spill when he worked for Exxon. I mean, you know, people like J.D. who are of this world who suddenly start seeing other dimensions. And I want to, if I could interrupt and just thank you for that, um, but uh, to speak for these other authors, you said all the things I felt. You know, I had precognitive visions. I had a near-death experience. I went through the tunnel. I discovered that who I am wasn't what I, my job. Money didn't make me happy. A lot of these stories told by the 36 authors. And um, I felt ashamed, embarrassed, alone, depressed. I thought I was going crazy. And I know that that's what all of those other authors have felt. And so, you know, from from my heart and from their hearts, thank you, thank you, thank you (laughs) for for doing this. and bringing together this amazing collection of stories. Um, each parable, I might add, for the listeners out there, uh, is broken into basically three parts. I like to think of it as the uh-oh, the aha, and the so what. Uh, the uh-oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Miriam and Julia do a great job asking these wonderful questions, which I had pointed out to her, actually mirror the hero's journey. Uh, And the first question is the departure from the journey, which was, you know, the 180-degree turn in our life. So the first question is, what particular event or experience in your life somehow changed your point of view on reality? So that's the uh uh-oh. The second question is the what insight did you learn as a result of this and how did it affect you? That's what I call the aha. And what's your message? The, what I call the so what? So um, how about we jump in and, um, and, and spend some time now talking about you know, some of the examples? What's your, what's your favorite one? Um, oh, it, it, it's like a mother with all her children. She, yeah, she can't really yeah. admit to favorites. Um, one of them, uh, I, I oh, hey, want, Miriam, before I want, we get, before we get into it, why don't you explain to the listeners out there, um, what the major sort of categories, cause I know you've, you've kind of bucketed them into some categories of experiences. You want to tell them what they are? 
Well, actually, I was just about to embark on that. So obviously, we are in sync. Um, not all of them were, you know, sudden experiences. Yes, there were near-death experiences, or there were sudden epiphanies, or mystical experiences. Many of them, maybe half of them, had um, one of these, or a dark night of the soul. There's something about getting to the point where you feel you cannot go any lower and you just surrender and you say, God, what's it all about? Show me. So that that is a very powerful state of mind. Other people um, may have had these kind of of knowings or experiences or abilities since childhood. Uh, in some cases, they had uh, kind of tucked them away, and only in later years did they acknowledge them and bring them back up into the light to play. Um, but other people were simply seekers. They had the sense that there has to be more than this, that, that you know, religions were not doing it for them. Um, they had this yearning to connect with the mystery, but didn't quite know how. So they experimented, they explored, and it was through this process of learning, exploration, and almost universally of adopting a spiritual practice like meditation, that enabled them to get insights into a, the primacy and the universality of consciousness. Consciousness that extends beyond um, this body, beyond the brain, beyond this lifetime. That's the big turning point. I like that beyond the body, beyond the brain, beyond this um, lifetime. You know, there's a number of themes which uh, are, or I guess you might say, rather themes, motifs that are just throughout the 36 parables. Um, and you touched on one of them, letting go, surrendering, I am you, you are me, we are one, our interconnected nature, um, and so before we dive into some of the examples, can you kind of share it, 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 you know, some of the major key points that, you know, the vast majority of these 36 highly credible professional doctors, teachers, professors, mm-hmm. you know, military, you know. Okay, well, I touched on a few of them. One of them is the what uh, Larry Dossie calls non-locality or the universal mind. Yeah, I love that part. Where um, you you realize that um, here you are in the universe, and you are exploring the universe. So you have a perspective that is so much above and greater than the physical manifestation that we call reality, that um, consciousness must exist somewhere outside of us and be kind of looking back down or back well, a lot in. Of, a lot of them, you know, these authors uh, and these stories, they, 
they are mathematicians, scientists, physicists, psychologists. And uh, so many of them say the same thing in a lot of different ways about, you know, how we have the same DNA, we share the same air, water, and minerals, that reality is 99% what we don't see. And I love the story by uh, Dr. Dosi. Um, what do you want to share what his event was? Sure. Uh, Larry Dossey is a medical doctor, and he was um, uh, asleep one night, and he had a very vivid dream. He, he saw the son of one of his medical colleagues um, struggling, struggling um, in a hospital setting and absolutely refusing to have whatever um, uh, electrodes were being put on him. And, and when he woke up, he was moved much more deeply than any normal dream would warrant. He went into the hospital to do his rounds, and he was having lunch with the, his colleague, the the father of the child who he dreamed about, when the child's mother came in holding the little boy, um, who was, uh, you know, flushed and, and tear-stained and, and panting, and uh, had absolutely refused to let the technician put ele- uh, EEC electrodes on him. And... Um, uh, Larry Dossie asked his colleague, is there any way I could have known this? Um, did you, did you tell any of your colleagues? And, um, the, his friend said, no, absolutely not. Only the neurologist and I and my wife knew. And so Larry Dossie told his friend, uh, the story of having this precognitive dream. And they both kind of were silent because this was so opposed to everything that they knew as scientists. And over the course of the next week, he had three more precognitive dreams, all of which came true. So this got him looking into the whole notion of the non-local mind. And in fact, he was the one who coined that term. And it, it started him. It, it started him writing about it and 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 thinking about it. And he has become one of the pioneers of the new consciousness. The uh, one of the authors, I forget which one. It might have been Paul von Ward or Peter Russell, <clears throat> um, said that they didn't kind of. Um, just talk about things that they read, that they were, uh, everything that they went down this path on was based on, and these are the key words, personal experiences. Personal experiences, not, oh, I think, or I read, or I researched, and I'm curious, but, whoa, this happened to me. Like Dr. Dossie, he had an, he had the uh-oh moment, as I called it, and um, you know my story, the same thing happened to me 23 years ago, when I had the same kind of vision about the Valdez oil spill with the ship collapsing on the rocks, um, and then four days later it happened, 
and I never told anyone for 20 years. So this same pattern repeats with other people on and on. So Dr. Dossie's uh, uh, uh-oh was this precognitive event, which happened multiple times, and then his aha was this awareness of uh, non-locality. So what, what's his, uh, so what? What's the message from Larry Dossie? Well, um, as he said, the, the ethical implications of, of one mind are absolutely monumental. Um, uh, actually, I'm going to quote from him. Um, the non-local, unbounded, collective, one-mind view of consciousness permits a revision of the golden rule, a version of which is found in all the world's major religions. Rather than saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule becomes... Be, be kind to others because, in some sense, they are you. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That was great. Well, let's go next, since we're talking about one mind. Let's go to Peter Russell uh, and talk about the global brain, which I absolutely loved. I didn't know that was his um, work. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners out there that uh, I am J.D. Messenger, and we are interviewing Miriam Knight, the author of the new book just released, What Wags the World, Tales of Conscious Awakening, which has been compiled and edited by Miriam and Julie Clayton. So, and if you want to get a copy, I strongly encourage that you do. It is, I think, a potentially... um, words escape me. I was going to say earth-shattering, but that's not the right metaphor. I I think this is a watershed event, Miriam. So you can go to whatwagstheworld.com or ncreview.com and get your copy before the first printing sells out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So tell us about Peter Russell and the, you know, his uh, uh uh-oh, aha message. Okay. Well, Peter Russell was a mathematician and a physicist. And he was studying um, the the question of how the universe had evolved into being. And he realized that physics wasn't going to help him uh, find the answers that he was looking for. And he uh, felt that the answer was in consciousness. I mean, you, you've all heard of Schrodinger's equation and the, and, you know, the cat in the box, the, um, consciousness, uh, which simply stated says that, um, an event, uh, horizon occurs only when you have the interaction of the observer. It's the consciousness of the observer interacting with the field that collapses the probability function and it becomes a real event. So this was all very scientific, but um, Peter Russell decided that science was never going to answer these very profound questions and you have to look at to people who have made a profession of studying these things, namely the swamis and the gurus, And so he took himself off to India, and um, he studied transcendental meditation uh, with the Maharishi. Uh, Interestingly enough, I I learned just a few days ago that Deepak Chopra had also gotten his start studying transcendental meditation with the Maharishi. 
Um, anyway, in, and this kind of put him on the path of making his life's work the study of consciousness and trying to make that accessible to the masses in simplified terms because of the same implications that we discussed before with Larry Dossie's work. Um, the, the implications of, of a sense of unity, a sense of continuity, uh, in existence, which changes everything. Then when you are aware that you are truly consciousness having a human experience, you can live your life differently because you don't have that Damocles sort of fear of death hanging over you and affecting your decisions. If I connect the mosaic between the story, I love the threads, right? So we, we had Dr. Larry Dossie who has this precognitive event and then a series of them, which are his personal experiences. He can't ignore, he can't deny. <clears throat> he goes on his journey, his quest, uh, and he discovers this non-local um, interconnection in the one mind. And then you have Peter Russell, and of course I really can relate to Peter Russell with you know the math and the physics and the psychology and all of that. And he, he reaches the same point. So uh, I, 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 I laugh when I read some of this because I laugh about how we're all on many different paths, but we all get to the same destination <laughs> in a different way, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so who's another, who's another um, example you'd like to share? Well, Anita Morjani is a very dramatic example. Yeah. Um, she was living in Singapore of Indian parentage, and uh, she was in business. She was very talented, spoke four languages, five languages, yeah, my God. and came down with a very virulent form of leukemia, um, uh, which took her down to stage four and a coma, um, quite rapidly. She went into hospital in coma and her parents were told that she had only about six hours to live. During this time, she crossed over into the light tunnel and uh, met with her father who had passed earlier and also a, f a girlfriend who had passed from cancer. And they introduced her to the the spirit world and to the reality of what we are. And she realized the absolutely unlimited power that we have to create our lives, to create our experience of life. And she knew with absolute certainty that if she were to come back, she could heal herself from cancer. Now, uh, and so she decided she was going to do this. And she did. She woke up and um, sat up and wanted food. Within days, um, her, her lymph nodes that had been so um, purulent, so, um, uh, you know, had broken through the skin, and they, they would have needed plastic surgery to close up the wound oh. under normal circumstances, 
closed up on their own. She went for oh. a CAT scan. They could not find any evidence of cancer in her lymph nodes. This was within, within a week or two. And she has since been um, reflecting to people on her lessons. And the biggest lesson was that you have to love yourself. If you do not have that self-love, you just don't have the foundation to hold, literally to hold body and soul together. But once you love yourself, you can then, you then have this power source to do anything that you want in the world. So when you, when you ref- make your choices in the world, m- reflect on, is this choice something I am doing for others or because I think I should? It's my, my duty. Um, I want to please my parents. I want to please my spouse. Or is it something that's going to nurture you? Is it something that you're doing because of love? And you use that as your compass and you will be unstoppable. She she says this, and again, connecting the threads and the big mosaic here, the, the things that connect and weave through all these stories said in many different voices, which to me is one universal song. Um, she said that we spend the rest of our lives going to self-help seminars and reading self-help books in order to rediscover what we were born with in the first place. And spent the first half of our lives forgetting. <laughs> um, another author, and again, I forget which one it was where I read this, was basically saying, you know, we've got all these people that are trying to tell you that um, you're not accountable, you're not responsible, it's someone else's problem. And in fact, the truth, what they all say, the truth lies within. We 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 know the truth. All we have to do is remember, 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 remember who we are, remember where we came from, and that we can all tap into this universal mind and find those answers from within, which, of course, is the message from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... Let, let me give you another um, sure. story that I particularly like because, um, and, and you know the, this young man, Jake Ducey. Jake Ducey was a college student, a surfer, a jock, absolutely had it made on campus. You know, had nothing to do with studies, but boy, was he living the high life. And he was lying in his bed one day with this deep kind of existential depression, thinking, What's it all about? It has mm. to be about more than this. At around age 19 or something yeah. like that. Right? Okay. <laughs> and uh, and he, he said, I am not going to get out of this bed until I get some answers. <laughs> and the answer that he got was that the universe is a loving place. And all he has to do is trust. And so he set out on a journey around the world with little more than a backpack and very little money, trusting that he would be cared for and, and led to, to find what he was looking for. And his book, um, describes this journey and it's absolutely magical. 
uh, and, and today he's, he's a, a <laughs> at the, at the ripe old age of 22 or 23, um, a very powerful motivational speaker. Yeah. I, I like his title, Into the Wind. You know, was it my six month experience traveling the world? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. What about something, another story that's maybe a little different? Um, how about Suzanne, which Suzanne Giesman, if I'm saying that correct, uh-huh. is that how? That, um, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one is, her story, some people could perceive as a little bit more out there. However, you have to look at who she is and where she's been and what she's done. Again, a very credible individual. Tell us about Suzanne. Well, absolutely. I mean, Suzanne was career military. Suzanne, Commander Suzanne Giesman, um, worked uh, for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, I'm just trying to find her bio here. Yeah, she she was an assistant to the CNO, and uh, she's got a picture with her and President Bush on her website. You know, obviously a total flake. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to you, Suzanne. You know, I was in the Navy, so. But, I mean, my goodness, you know. And what's, so what's Suzanne's shocking so, story? Okay, so Suzanne, <laughs> what happened with Suzanne was um, that her stepdaughter um, died and uh, she and her husband were devastated and they went to a medium and the medium told them things that she had no way of knowing. And to Suzanne's military-trained mind, this was just so out of any reality that she knew or could understand that she felt she had to go and find out more about this. She became a journalist, and she started writing books about mediumship um, and, in fact, was interviewing another medium who looked at her during the course of the, the, the reading, and she said, you know, you're a medium. And Suzanne said, no way. No, 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 yeah. Um, and so she put her on the spot and she said, look at this person and tell me what you see. And Suzanne proceeded to give incredibly accurate readings, um, for, you know, a half a dozen people. So, uh, and, and, you know, today she, she goes around, um, giving talks and, and giving readings. She has become, um, a, a powerful voice for the reality of communicating with people in another dimension. Mediumship is is translating the energetic messages from their spirits through the medium of the medium and conveying them to other people. And the point of mediumship is to give people comfort and to give people confidence that there is more to existence than just this lifetime. And when you know that, you know, if you, first of all, that dying is probably one of the most exciting things and most wonderful things you'll ever do in your life, as Neil Donald Walsh once said, um, that you get to come back if you've left unfinished business, you get to do it over again. That life is 
evolution. It's, it's experiencing. It's expanding the universe through the medium of your own existence. Everything that you do in life expands the whole of creation. You are a creator being. How exciting is that? Oh, it's incredibly exciting, which is why, you know, I got goosebumps all over me when you said that, which I call truth bumps in 11 days in May. Um, and um, I, you know my story, but I'll share it for some of those listeners. Since my book came out telling those stories that I've had, I've had over 100,000 emails and, and dozens and dozens or hundreds of clients. And I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll mask a little bit of the details out there because, you know, it's personal information. But I know several heads of HR in large corporations. We're talking large corporations who are mediums. And they come to me and they say, you know, my, my employees come walking in the door and in comes with them a whole bunch more information. And, and these employees think that these HR directors are like, you know, just amazing people. And what the directors say, you know, again, very credible, professional, you know, people are saying, you know, I'm just listening to what their angels or guides are telling me. And the same goes on with doctors who are psychologists and, and so on and so on. And so it's nothing unusual. It's actually our greatest sense. We're talking about our ability to tap into this field of energy and, um, understand that field, which leads me to perhaps our last story. I'd like you to tell the story about Foster Gamble. So while you think about that, I want to remind our listeners out there, I am J.D. Messenger, and I am interviewing the amazing, awesome, wonderful (laughs) Miriam Knight, the author of What Wags the World, and you need to buy this book right away before the first edition sells out. It's whatwagstheworld.com. And you can learn more um, at newconsciousnessreviewncreview.com. So, uh, Miriam, let's tell one more story, and then we'll kind of do a wrap-up of uh, what's it all mean. Tell us about sure, Foster. Sure. Well, uh, Foster um, Gamble is from the family of Procter & Gamble. Um, you know, he, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and he turned his back on it. Um, primarily because of an experience he had as a young boy. Um, well, pr- probably uh, early teenager. When he was riding in a bus and he suddenly saw out the window um, uh, reality folding itself into the shape of a torus. A torus is like a, an energetic donut with... Um, I think in school you've all seen these kind of magnet filings, you know, uh, going around the uh, the outside of a, a donut magnet. So you've got this energy flow that comes through the center and out around the periphery and through the center. And that this is the basic geometrical construct of the universe. And this totally set him on a path of turning his back on the corporate world and going into science and consciousness and setting up a foundation to explore um, uh, consciousness and science and the the, uh, the workings of the universe. And uh, he has a website 
um, that he set up for his uh, foundation uh, called the thrivemovement.com. And um, his movie Thrive talks about how we are meant to be um, unlimited beings in an unlimited universe. We're not meant to be kind of of worrying about what somebody else gets and, and thinking that that's at the expense of us, that the universe is abundant, that we can all thrive together. I, I think that one of the things that I like about what Foster was saying is, you know, a lot of these authors take um, something that's at 50,000 or 100,000 square feet and they, they tell you a story their uh-oh, what was their turning point question. They give you an insight, the aha, and then they drill it right down to surface level. And I love the way Foster did that in saying that if I could say one thing, you know, it's pay attention. You know, another one of the authors said, be kind. Oh, that you know? was Peter Russell. Yeah, yeah be kind. And, um, you know, so pay attention to your thoughts, pay attention to what's going on, that there's this thriving, beautiful universe around you. Um, we're all a part of this, like the D- Dr. Larry Dossie, um, Peter Russell, you know, Paul Van Ward, I think it was also. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's so moving. It's so, it's so touching. There, there's, there's an energy in this book that, that I think, is just, I don't know, it kind of chokes me up, Miriam. I mean, 36 tales of courage and wisdom and unexplained, quote-unquote, unexplained phenomenon, unexplained by the laws of science as we understand it, um, but in fact the the laws of this universe, which is the 99% of the invisible nature of reality, don't operate by the laws of uh, humanity or man. Mm. Do you, We might have... Um, we, we've got a couple of minutes maybe for one more story if you want to share one, uh, or we could kind of move into the final, what's it all mean, where do we go from here? Your choice. Well, I, I just want to share a quick one, um, which is Paul Von Ward, because okay. his background is really astonishing. Um, he grew up in a sharecropper's cabin in Florida. He became a fundamentalist pastor, preacher, um, and then started asking awkward questions um, about what does it mean to be saved and, and what about people who have never heard of Jesus Christ? Does that mean that they're damned? And that didn't seem fair. Yeah. So then he started uh, to university and he studied psychology and he couldn't find answers that really satisfied him there. He ended up going into the, um, into the services, into the Navy, and he was uh, just about set to command a swift boat in Vietnam. And um, he felt that he wasn't really cut out for the military mind, ended up going into the foreign service. He was a diplomat for 15 years. He worked in the State Department. Um, he has two master's degrees um, from Harvard, and he was kind of invited to leave the State Department when he contributed um, an analysis of the workings of the State Department to a book that was... <laughs> less than laudatory. 
And one of the things that he realized was that every step, and you had introduced the show by talking about the hero's journey, every step in his own trajectory had led to the next. And he realized, uh, he had an insight that maybe it was connected to past lives that he had, that he was kind of recapitulating uh, past wisdom that he had acquired. Mm. And he just went on to um, write many wonderful books that brought his amazing intellect to bear on, um, on these issues. And I just want to use the last um, sentence in his message to the reader because you will appreciate it because he was also in the navy and he says to use a navy metaphor we are all steering a course from day to day and even though we may not know the final destination we must fix our gaze on the horizon take our best guess and head for the stars Mm. yeah it's that it's the universal journey which joseph campbell describes in the hero's journey it is the universal message, I believe, that all spiritual practices, um, you know, we say this all the time. It might be new to some listeners that all religions are spiritual, but spirituality is not a religion. So the essence of all the religions uh, embrace these same principles, these same practices, that we are going on this journey in a path. And I like what Paul's uh, saying, I do, I personally do resonate with that, that we are um, connecting the dots from all of our experiences. Because I think, you know, everything is pure energy. Uh, We know that's a scientific fact. That energy is light. That light is photons. And that's what we are. And uh, energy can't be created or destroyed. So we are an eternal being. And, you know, we don't forget something that we've learned Um, you know, who was it that said a mind once expanded cannot return to its original state? (laughs) Right. Um, name escapes me for a minute. It'll pop into my head. But so we've got a few minutes left, Miriam. Um, and again, we're talking with Miriam Knight, uh, one of the, uh, copy editors of what wags the world and reviewers that compiled these 36 stories of credible, amazing individuals having mystical or unexplained phenomenon that helps define the nature of life living and reality and our purpose for being here. You can get a copy at whatwagstheworld.com and creview.com. Miriam, is the book also available in any other place? Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, and a bookstore near you. Just ask for it. Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. What about um, an ebook as well? I believe. Yes. Correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. So, go ahead. Where do we yeah. go from here? Where do we go from here? You know, I am reminded of the parable of the blind men and the elephant, mm. because all of the stories that we um, read, and there are, in fact, um, with you, J.D., there are 37 stories. Oh, okay. Um, All of the stories give a particular perspective um, of a truth that these individuals have perceived. Together, 
they interleave and interweave to create a broader picture, which is still only an approximation, only a, a kind of um, tip of the iceberg of what the truth may be. At the end of the day, the truth is what you feel it to be in your heart. The truth for you is what you glean from these stories and what resonates deeply with you. Because as one of the th common themes is that we create the reality that we are living in. So what you resonate will affect how you live your life and what your life gives back to you. So if I were to say the common theme that is uppermost is live your life from a place of love and not fear. Um, live your life with a sense of abundance and a benevolent universe that wants you to succeed and grow because through your success and your growth, the entire universe grows and succeeds. Well, I guess in my, in my reality, I eliminated my own story from your book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kept saying 36 tales, uh, because I didn't have my name on the list, so so okay. There's 37. Correction to the show, folks. <laughs> um, wow, that's beautiful. And you know, if, if you're present and you're feeling this and you're hearing this and you're absorbing this, then you you should just have a big sigh of relief that that we are in this beautiful place where we have unlimited potential and power and that our purpose is to discover our path and purpose or remember it and to pursue our passion and unleash that power, which is our light power, and uh, do great things. So, Miriam, it has been an absolute honor, and um, I am so happy for you. Thank you, J.D., and, and thank you so much for helping me kind of bring the messages in the book out. It's, it's a little difficult to toot your own horn, um, and I feel so passionately about these, um, these wonderful people, including you, who have really put their lives out there on the line, uh, braving, um, you know, raised everything from raised eyebrows to total uh, calls for uh, commitment. And um, you are changing our perception of reality, and you will change the future of the world. Well, thank you, and thank you to all of these amazing people and these wonderful um individuals and yourself um we give thanks to you we are grateful for you we honor you we recognize we are all a part of each other telling this one universal song and uh, i again uh we've been talking with miriam knight her book is what wags the world get it at whatwagsworld.com amazon.com barnesandnoble.com there's the ebook as well you can learn more at ncreview.com pay attention to what's going on there and stay tuned because I know there's going to be a lot more wonderful things coming out about the book, including programs and potentially some other events with the authors. I am JD Messenger. You have been listening to New Consciousness Review. To our listeners around the world, good morning, good evening, and good night. And I do hope you will join us next week when our guest will be Sonia Choquette talking about her incredible journey walking home.
We're going to close the show with a really upbeat track from the dynamic Gina Citoli, whose website is ginacitoli.com. That's G-I-N-A-C-I-T-O-L-I.com. Gina has this one-woman show called Cabaret of Consciousness. And here is a track from that show, which is also a CD. It's called The City of Light. Enjoy. Enjoy. 